Then Jesus said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you, as we do each week, to be here with us in this place this morning. We trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. These last several weeks, as we've been reading through this set of parables in the Gospel of Matthew, we've seen Jesus using several different things as points of comparison. He's often comparing one thing to another. We've seen the generosity of God compared to a vineyard owner dealing with different groups of laborers in Jesus' parable of the 11th hour workers. We've seen the reaction of two sons who were asked to do chores compared to each other in a story that Jesus tells about the need for a changed heart. And we've seen the kingdom of God itself compared to both a vineyard and a wedding banquet. Lots of comparisons happening through this section of Matthew. He's, Jesus is in a comparing mood, and he's not done. He's got another comparison for us this week, but now he's going to take it out of the world of parables and storytelling and place it firmly in the real world. He's asked a question about taxes. You can't get any more real world than that. And in his answer, he makes a comparison, though I think it's one that you have to read between the lines a little bit to see. In this comparison, Jesus compares the most down-to-earth, real-world thing of all, a common coin, to another down-to-earth, real-world thing. He compares it to you. Now, a group of people made up of the disciples of the Pharisees and a pro-Roman group called the Herodians, these are supporters of Herod, come to Jesus and try to entrap him. Now, remember, in the life of Jesus here, we're in Holy Week, the last week of Jesus' life, so things are coming to a head. People are really starting to try in earnest to make this Jesus problem go away. Now, if you'll remember a few weeks ago, when after being asked a dishonest question, another dishonest question, Jesus put the scribes and Pharisees in a difficult spot by asking them a question about the source of John the Baptist's authority. Do you remember this? The Pharisees are now trying to do the exact same thing to Jesus. In that interaction, if you'll recall, the Pharisees asked Jesus where his authority came from. And Jesus in return said, where do you think John's authority came from? And the Pharisees knew that they couldn't say John's authority came from God because they didn't believe him. And they also didn't feel like they could say what they really thought, which was that John was acting on his own authority, because the gathered crowd thought that John was a prophet sent from God. And the Pharisees were afraid of the crowd. And now Jesus is getting a taste of his own medicine. Or at least, that was the idea. Teacher, they come to him and say. And you can, you can hear the disgusting 
oily dishonesty dripping off their words, right? Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with the truth and show deference to no one for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? And so with this question, they have attempted to put Jesus between a rock and a hard place, just like he successfully so recently put them. Now, if he says that people should pay taxes to the emperor, who, remember, is the head of a hated, oppressive, occupying force, if he says they should pay taxes to him, he'll probably lose a lot, if not all, of his popularity with the crowd. They'd think of Jesus as some kind of sympathizer all of a sudden. But if he says that the people shouldn't pay taxes to the emperor, they can have him arrested for fomenting insurrection. Now, of course, the ironic thing here is that despite the grossly disingenuous way in which these disciples of the Pharisees compliment Jesus, they're actually painting a completely and totally accurate picture of who Jesus is and how he teaches. Right? He is a teacher. He is sincere. He does teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. He doesn't show deference to anyone and does not regard people with partiality. And so his answer is honest, fair, and truthful, and totally rocks their world. Jesus, aware of their malice, writes Matthew, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. So they brought him a denarius. And then he said to them, Give, therefore, to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. Give, therefore, to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. This is, without a doubt, one of Jesus' most famous sayings, well-known even to people who are otherwise completely unfamiliar with the Bible and with Jesus' words. Render unto Caesar is how the King James puts it. This is probably what everyone has heard. Render unto Caesar. But what is Jesus really saying here? We know that Jesus is a teacher who sincerely teaches the way of God in accordance with the truth. He doesn't show deference to anyone. He does not regard people with partiality. So what is his teaching for us here? Well, to understand Jesus' answer to the question, we need to take a step back and take a closer look again at the question Jesus asks them. A question, remember, that he asks while holding a simple coin in his hand. Whose head is this? And whose title? A simple question with a simple answer. But remember, we're going to read between the lines this morning. A denarius, the standard coin paid for a day's labor, would have had the picture of the head of the emperor on it, as well as a few words describing his title, something like son of the divine Caesar. So on this coin, we have an image and we have writing. And then Jesus' announcement, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God, 
the things that are God's. Something amazing is going on here as Jesus does what is otherwise an incredibly simple thing. Here is what's happening. With Jesus pointing out of the head and title on the coin, the image and the writing, he's comparing the people gathered there, the disciples, the Pharisees, and the Herodians, but also the gathered crowd, and in fact, all people, backward and forward in time, up to and including you and me, He's comparing all people to that simple coin that he's holding in his hand. See this coin, he's saying? This coin is like you. Whose head is this? He asks. Whose image is on this coin? The emperor's, Caesar's. Okay, then, give what is Caesar's to Caesar. But give what is God's to God. And what is that? What is God's? Well, what is it that bears God's image? You. Whose title is this? He asks. By whose authority is there writing on this coin? The emperor's. Caesar's. Okay, then. Give what is Caesar's to Caesar but give what is God's to God. And what is that? What is God's? What is it that has God's word written on it? You. Your heart. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here? The coin goes to Caesar. It belongs to him. He gets this tiny bit of metal. You, though, you Belong to God. Heart and soul and mind and strength. Every atom, every fiber of your being, you are God's. Give to God what is his. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Whose image is on you? Almighty God's. Give to God what is God's. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. This is Hebrews chapter 8 verses 10 and 11. Quoting Jeremiah chapter 31, 33 and 34. Whose writing is on you? Almighty God's. Give to God what is God's. Now. We can see the profundity of what Jesus is doing here. He's doing so much more than just making a suggestion about whether or not the people should pay their taxes. 
He's taking this opportunity provided by the question to remind the people that they are not their own. They might owe an insignificant metal coin to Caesar, but they owe their very existence to God. No wonder Jesus' questioners were amazed and afraid to ask him any more questions. Okay, give to God what is God's. That sounds simple. We are God, so we give ourselves to God. But just how do we go about doing that? Well, we acknowledge his ownership. We are obedient to his command. We submit ourselves to his word. In fact, we commit ourselves to being the very kind of people Jesus' questioners were describing, conforming ourselves to Christ, sincere, teaching the way of God in accordance with truth, regarding people without partiality, doing what the owner says. But even this amazing truth, that you are not your own and are the possession and property of your creator and that you are to therefore live in accordance to his will, even this amazing truth is not the end of the story. This is not the best of the best news. It's where Jesus ends his comparison to the coin. Yes, but remember, this is Holy Week. And Jesus' story isn't over yet. So let me draw your attention to the last sentence of that section of Jeremiah and Hebrews that I read to you a second ago. I'm going to read that section again, but add the next sentence on to the end. So you can see where this comparison ends up taking Jesus' full life story into account. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. Hebrews makes the connection to Christ explicit. Saying that Jesus has obtained a ministry more excellent than the old. As the covenant he mediates is better. Since it is enacted on better promises. Better promises, a promise that the Son of God will accomplish the removal of sin. It is through Jesus Christ that our sins are forgiven and our iniquity is forgotten. And this all has to do with God's ownership of us. Here's how St. Paul puts it. This is him writing to the Corinthian church, this 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he's writing in the context of sexual purity. He says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So the news is actually even better than the great news that you are owned by God. The good news is that this God, this God who owns you, is a good God, a forgiving God, a God who will forgive you and remember your sin no more. And why? 
Why does he not remember our sin anymore? It has to do with the price that he paid for you. Jesus' own life and blood offered, as we say each week, as a propitiation, a perfect sacrificial offering and atonement for your sins and the sins of the whole world. Now, I get it. The idea of being owned, even by a good God, is a little disconcerting. So it is worth us reminding ourselves again and again just what kind of owner we have. We are not our own. We are God's. And he is not a cruel or frightening owner. God is good. God is a redeemer. He is a forgiver. Counterintuitively, being owned by God is freedom. It is for freedom. After all, that Christ says he has set us free. There's an old story, probably apocryphal, that illustrates what God's ownership of us is really like. At an ancient slave auction, a man purchased a young slave girl. As they walked away from the auction, the man turned to the girl and told her, You're free. And with amazement, she responded, You mean I'm free to do whatever I want? Yes, he said. And to say whatever I want to say? Yes, anything. And to be whatever I want to be? Yes. And even to go wherever I want to go? Yes, he answered with a smile. You're free to go wherever you'd like. She looked at him intently and replied, Then I will go with you. So it is. With God. His ownership is freedom. His love is redemption. His sacrifice of himself in his son is forgiveness. And his setting us free actually brings us back and binds us to him. And so we find ourselves returning to his embrace week by week, day by day, hour by hour, we become conformed to Christ. We are obedient to our owner. We say again and again, I will go with you. We're saying it right now. That's why we've come here to say once again to our owner, I will go with you. We sing his praises. We eat and drink his body and blood. We share our joy in his salvation with the ends of the earth. He has set you free. You are not your own. You are his. Bought with a price. Forgiven. And set free. Thanks be to God. Amen.